Hey, Katie. Hi, Ben. So uh, you got a new microphone, didn't you? Yeah, it's uh, it's pretty spiffy. Yeah, so I, I just searched on Google for podcasting microphone, and I, I got a couple ads up at the top. And I was kind of curious if we could talk about maybe methods that Google might use to decide who gets to place an ad there. Yeah, let's do it. All right, you are listening to Linear Digressions. Okay, so Google's Google's system is called AdWords, right? Yeah, and AdWords is basically an auction program. So this is a little bit outside of our natural wheelhouse of machine learning for data science, but I also think it's a really interesting way to solve a certain problem, which is allocating ad space. It's also outside of us as consumers, our wheelhouse, because typically we see the ads from the from one side, whereas an advertiser sees it from the other side. And the advertiser has to contend with this entire market of how much ad space can I get for this many pennies or this many dollars? Uh, and in what distribution would be the best way for me to, to place my ads to get the most clicks and the most purchases and everything? You know, when you started to say that, that it's outside of our wheelhouse as consumers, I was even thinking of another thing. The thinking about auctions as a way of allocating scarce resources is a little bit outside of our wheelhouse as consumers because usually we just walk into stores and there's a price there and you pay the price. And the supply and demand is kind of happening under the surface, right? Depending on if, I don't know, vinegar is really popular this week at the supermarket. <laughs> that doesn't make it more expensive, right? But in an auction setting, it actually can. So it's a totally different way of sort of thinking about how supply and demand gets wrapped up into the prices in a sort of very dynamic way in the case of most auctions. Yeah, that, that's true. I definitely don't monitor the vinegar prices. <laughs> right. So first of all, yeah, let's just set the stage for kind of what we mean by by auctioning off ad space, just to be very clear uh -huh, about it. Yeah. So the idea here is that if I'm Google, I have this scarce resource, which is real estate on the front page when somebody Googles for something. And this real estate is valuable because the links that get put there are going to be clicked on more often. And in fact, usually the first link is going to get clicked on the most often. The second link is going to be clicked on the second most often. And so there's sort of a, a hierarchy to how valuable the real estate is. Yeah. And it actually is a scarce resource because uh, w right before we started recording, I searched for a couple different things to see what ads would pop up. And so I searched for data science and two ads popped up and then I refreshed and only one ad popped up and then all subsequent searches about data science related things. I didn't get any ads uh, because the space, the ad space that Google serves users is limited by Google's own algorithm that's probably uh, largely based on whether or not it'll annoy us, right? So if I'm seeing ads constantly on Google for all of my searches, I'm not going to get any nice organic search results and I'll stop using Google. So uh, there is definitely an imposed scarcity, but it's it in fact guarantees the, I guess, quality of the ad space, if you will. So we will come back to this exact point a Ooh. little bit more towards the end of this topic the exact things that Google does that I think are actually pretty brilliant to make sure that you don't have this exact problem, that you don't get annoyed and stop using their service. But we'll right. get there in a little while. But first, what I want to do is talk about auctions in general. Um, so this this comes mostly from the economics literature, which I spent a lot of time reading through very slowly this week and trying to understand it. What do you think of when you think of an auction? Not in the context of selling online advertising space, but if I hadn't given you that intro, what do you think would be coming to mind in terms of what an auction might look like? 
you know, actually what's coming to mind is that, so, you know, the guy standing in front of all of the people and, and usually saying like, I see 100, 100, 100, do I see 120, 120? Um, and of course, in the old timey auction sound bites, you hear the person kind of, and I can't really understand it. But people, I guess, who do a lot of auctions can kind of uh, lock onto this almost jargon that the auctioneer, I guess that's the person's name, speaks. So uh, yeah, so I'm imagining a person standing in front of a bunch of other people, and those people will raise their hand or, or you know, make a gesture. Yeah, I accept that price. I want to go higher. Yeah, I accept that price. I want to go higher. I think that that's the most common visual that I have for an auction as well. Uh, that version of an auction is called an English auction. There's, as it turns out, many different kinds of auctions. And the English auction has a few things that are really nice about it. If you are a seller, for example, one thing that's really nice is that English auctions tend to get high prices relative to some of the other auction mechanisms because mm-hmm. there's this incentive sometimes, especially the psychology of that situation where people are, especially if people are in the same room and there's this competitive aspect that sometimes the buyers can be nudged into places maybe that they don't want to go. Sometimes you hear about the winner's curse in the context of auctions, but from the seller's perspective, that's really great. But stepping back for a second, trying to think Mm -hmm. about what the goal of an auction is and how an English auction fulfills that goal. So the goal of a well-functioning English auction is that for me as a buyer, I am able to perhaps get the thing that I want at, at something of a discount, right? So mm-hmm. this happens on eBay sometimes. You see something that's really great on eBay. I think this thing is worth $100, but it's going for 50 bucks right now. And like, oh yeah, good, this is a good deal for me. And that has some benefits. Obviously, that's not great for the seller necessarily. If, if what I think the value of this object is, is $100, then theoretically speaking, I should be willing to pay up to $100 for it. Well, I'll tell you, this actually happened to me fairly recently. Uh, let's imagine that the numbers are 150. And so uh, 100 is what I think it's worth, what I'd be maybe willing to buy it new for. 50 is what it's going for. But I'm really willing to pay $70. But gosh, if I could get it for 50 bucks, then, you know, that's great. So I put down 50 bucks and then the auction's about to close and someone swoops in and gets it for 55 or $60. Oh, so you and got bid sniped. Yeah, I got I got bit sniped, so and, I, I just bought it new. <laughs> and that is a, that is one of the major problems also of the English auction, is you know let's suppose that you and I were bidding against each other in an auction. I have some privately held value of what I think this thing is actually worth, right? I actually think it's worth a hundred dollars, and I'm willing to go up to that number. You have your own privately held value of what this thing is worth, which may or may not be a hundred dollars. It might be more. It might be less. We're in this sort of adversarial situation where only one of us can get the object. Um, so we have some incentive not to be necessarily saying what our true value of the object is. right? Because mm. if I say I'm willing to go up to $100 on this, then you know that you can bid 101 and that you win it. And that, and that moreover, when I'm saying this is worth $100 to me, then I'm also giving you a piece of information. Uh, and auctions are actually kind of interesting to think about them in terms of information exchange right. that as I'm bidding I'm actually giving you hints about what my true my true value is for the object and it's to my advantage to keep that as private as possible because then I have an advantage in terms of the the bidding strategy that I can take against you right the information is actually worth something yeah and that moreover I don't necessarily have an incentive to be bidding my true value in any given point so if I see that this thing is for $50 
my incentive is not to go for $100 because if I can get it for 51, then why would I ever pay 100 for it? And so there's also sort of this problem a little bit with the English auction that asymptotically, hopefully I will be approaching my true value. If the value gets high enough, I'm willing to go up to $100 and you can, if, if the bidding goes high enough, you'll figure out that that's where my true value is because once it goes above there, I drop out. But in general, it's my incentive to be bidding less than that because I want to be getting it for a better price. And so that is not totally ideal from sort of a, an economic perspective that I'm in this auctioning situation saying, here's what I'm willing to pay for this. Here's what I'm willing to pay for this. Here's what I'm willing to pay for this. And those are mostly, those statements are kind of lies in the sense that I'll be saying, yeah, I'll, I'll give you $70, but, but not a penny more. Um, right, because right. I'm trying to get you to sell it to me for, you know, $70. But I, I would totally pay a penny more. <laughs> right. So uh, in terms of bidding my true value, you know, the English auction is not necessarily going to be a situation where I'm placing bids that actually reflect what I think something is worth. And then one of the other disadvantages of the English auction, as you were saying earlier talking about eBay, is that bid sniping and the closing mechanism of the auction can actually end up being really important. And that's not really ideal from an economic situation either. In terms of economics, we would want the auction to be closing sort of in a way where the person who values the item the most is getting it. The way that they signal that they value it the most is by making the highest bid and that everyone else, all the people who've lost the auction, are happy to be losing in the sense that they're saying, oh, no, I'm not willing to pay more than it's going for right now. Um, so if my true value of this microphone is $90, and I would have to pay $100 in order to win the auction. Like, I shouldn't want to win that auction because I'm, I'm paying $100 for a $90 microphone. Mm -hmm. And so a well-functioning English auction, you're in that sort of nice state at the end of it where the person who wants it the most is the person who's paying the most is the person who's winning. But in terms of the closing mechanism of the auction, usually it's limited by time or you have the situation where you imagine all the people in the room, it's sort of limited by you and me giving each other, you know, really hard stares from opposite sides of the room, trying to figure out where each other's breaking point is. And if you're in a situation where the microphone that's worth $90 to me, I'm winning the auction with a $80 bid, you come in with 15 seconds left paying $81. Well, now I've lost the auction. I'm unhappy because mm -hmm. I would have, I would have happily paid $82 if I just had 10 more seconds to sort of up your bid. So the auction in that sense has failed because, you know, the seller mm. isn't getting as much money as they could. I didn't get my microphone and you've gotten it not by virtue of the fact that you value it more than me or you're willing to pay more than I am for it, but just by virtue of the fact that you have a faster click finger than I did. So the most ideal auction would be one where you don't have winner's curse. You don't get your legs cut out from under you uh, because of the closing mechanism. And Ideally, everyone walks away happy, whether they've won the auction or they've lost the auction. Ultimately, you want an auction where everybody ends up walking away as happy as they can be, where you optimize for, for people being okay with it by, at the end. And maybe one more thing I would add on to that, which is an auction where everyone is incentivized to bid their true value and not mm -hmm. to be sort of playing games with the bids. Got it. Okay. This kind of auction exists, doesn't it? It does. <laughs> uh, there's a variant on it, which is which is what they use at Google. And they use it in lots of other contexts, too. It's called, well, it's got several different names. It's called a Vickery auction, or it's sometimes called a generalized second price auction is another version of this sort of auction. A sealed second price bid auction. I'd like to imagine that it's actually called the Victory auction. And uh, <laughs> we're going to talk I about... I think Professor Vickery would, would disagree with you. On oh, that. no. <laughs> 
It's named after someone, of course. Of course. So we're going to talk about that auction in the next episode. Linear Digressions is a Creative Commons endeavor, which means you can share or use it any way you like. Just tell them we said hi. To find out more about this or any other episode of Linear Digressions, go to LinearDigressions.com. And if you like this podcast, go ahead and leave us a review on iTunes so other people get to listen to this content too. You can always get in touch with either of us. Our emails are ben at LinearDigressions.com and katie at LinearDigressions.com in case you have comments or suggestions for future shows. You can tweet us at Lynn Digressions. Thank you for joining us, and we'll see you next time.